to the Alien Probe Podcast. It's Saturday, January 27th, 2024. I'm Doug, and joining me today is my esteemed guest, Debbie. How's it going, Debbie? It's going good. Anything exciting happened, except for uh, what happened to your car yesterday? I got pooped on. (laughs) Stupid birds. Never park under a tree. (laughs) We have spent a little time in this morning having to... um, Wash the car off a little bit. That's an amazing amount of bird poop. Brown bird poop. (laughs) Anyway, on that note, we're going to be doing um, our fourth installment of Georgia Damski's um, Flying Saucers Have Landed. Um, Damski's was a Polish-American author. He became widely known in ufology circles and, uh, to some degree, the pop culture. after he displayed numerous photographs in the 40s and 50s. This book, bear in mind, this book was authored in 53. And some of the things uh, we're going to be listing off, after we go on a little bit, we're going to be listing off a lot of things that happened in 51 and 52. And it had an enormous amount of those. And as I went along and I was doing the editing, I decided we're not going to read all of those. Thank you. We're going to read it. Yeah, we're going to have our share of them today, and okay. then we'll do a little wrap-up. Okay. But I think it's important for everybody to know that a lot of the things that are happening and the reactions that are happening in 52 have not changed a bit in 2023 and it's, as far as how the government's treating things and how scientists look at these things. So, um the phenomena of uh, Dr. Menzel in his recent book, Flying Saucers, Dr. Donald Menzel of Harvard University, um, let me make sure I'm recording, okay, um, has Please. tried to convince us that the flying saucers are simple, everyday natural phenomena. Among other things, he explains how car headlights reflected up to layers of cold air could cause the appearance of a moving disc in the sky. Wow, I've never, you know, been driving along the highway and decided to duck because (laughs) things are flying. But we haven't seen a flying saucer yet, so, or a tic-tac or something, I imagine, before it's over, we'll all be seeing them. I'm I'm thinking they should just take all, I'm going to tell everybody right now, this is how you solve the national debt. You take all the stuff that Lockheed and everybody's got hidden away. All the, you know, the, the latest I heard that is that it, um, the Goddard uh, Space Facility, NASA Space Facility, uh, Building 8, three stories down, um, Werner, uh, Werner von Braun uh, uh, went down there with, uh, not Abby Loeb, but the, uh, there was another one, the guy, there was a guy that was, a, he could see uh, he was part of, uh, uh, I've lost my mind. I don't know. You know, he's come, anyway, he could see into the, he, he, he had ESP, okay. basically. 
and I'll probably think of it in about in anyway. So he just yell it out. Yeah, just <laughs> I'll just randomly <laughs> yell it out. You His know, I'm shuffling through my notes, it's going to come to me any second. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's uh, as we see all these things, we should put them all in a museum, mm -hmm. charge a hundred bucks a piece because that's really you know they'll line up for miles to look at these things and just put that money. Don't just quit, you know, keep collecting taxes and things. And then, um, you know, people could, are going to want to have roads you could drive on. Yeah. We could have roads you could drive on and things, you know, Those giant potholes. All we got to do. I mean, I would go into, I would stand in that line. I would look at that stuff and then I would go back into the other line. I go again. Oh, they just have to send you out at the end of the day. I might have to just work there. <laughs> I'll be hiding in there when it closes so I keep looking at it. <laughs> okay. Possibly they could and do. Yeah, the, this we're back to the headlights thing in case anybody hadn't caught up because yeah. we were rambling. But then what about the days when there were no headlights, when the brightest artificial illumination on earth was an oil lamp? What about the Byland Abbey saucer, for example, that occurred in broad daylight? presumably from the reflection of the Abbey candles burning in their glory on the Feast of St. Simon's in Jude. Hmm. What about it? What about it? And meteors, he suggests, could be another cause of saucers. Perhaps some of the sightings are meteors. Most meteors are observable for a brief second. We've seen some of those, meteorites. They travel about 7 to 40 miles a second, are usually consumed by the friction of our atmosphere before they reach the ground. Meteors do not suddenly change direction, do not hover, do not amble along in velocities between 100 and up to 1,000 miles an hour. Dr. Menzel explains the Lubbock lights and other formations quite simply. In his laboratory before the enraptured gaze of his Harvard students, he pierced a V-shaped formation of holes in a cardboard screen. When he shone a light through this onto water, a reflection was obtained that looked just like the Lubbock lights. Yeah, they're always looking for a de the debunkers go crazy. <sighs> Does not this rather suppose that in various parts of the earth, large cardboard screens have been set up at strategic points and that powerful lights, borrowed no doubt from a neighborly and obliging searchlight battery, have been directed through rows of holes, cuts therein, cut there into a convenient local sheet of water. And that as a result, we have seen formations of flying saucers. There you go. It's all cardboard. <laughs> it is rather puzzling that no one has yet discovered the cardboard screens. Well, they eventually just, you know, deteriorate. So That's what are right, you going to yeah. do? To produce an effect covering the whole sky that would mystify Professors Robinson, Oberg, and Ducker, the cardboard screens must have been very large and the source of light extremely powerful. Surely they would have been noticed. They fold them up and recycle them after they're done. Kind of like with our recycling when we get giant boxes of <laughs> yeah, weather tech. The giant weather tech. Giant boxes of weather tech. Dr. Menzel and I agree, however, that some of the saucers cited could have been high-flying balloons. But only those that moved in accordance with the prevailing winds in those altitudes. And in the days of Flying Saucer Museum, there were very few balloons at large, certainly none that could reach the upper stratosphere. Those who still insist that all flying saucers are skyhook balloons and vice versa simply have not bothered to study the facts now. To his credit, Dr. Menzel is not numbered among them. 
And now the doctor pulls out his Trump card. Never say Not Trump. the Trump card. People never say Trump. <laughs> In a massive <laughs> astrophysical... We're not going to talk about politics here. No, we're not. So just stop. <laughs> In a massive astrophysical jargon that sounds so convincing to the uninitiated, merely because it happens to be scientific, a pattern which appears to mean much, but in reality means little, he tells us how ionized air at certain altitudes could cause luminous disks or spheres to appear and move silently around. With the aid of a bell jar and a vacuum pump and other scientific odds and ends, a nice working example was produced in the laboratory. I will not, and we're talking about Adamski's um, narrating this yes. throughout the book, so it's, I, this isn't Doug's opinion, it's, you know, George's. I will not argue with him. Neither he nor I have ever been up there to study the matter firsthand at the moment. An ionized saucer was in the process of formation. It is more than likely that a number of so-called flying saucers have been caused in this or in a similar way. But if Dr. Menzel is going to suggest that all luminous saucers that are not the refracted lights of cars or of stars are caused of ionized air, then I can only say <coughs> that he is being scientifically dishonest. That's a pretty mean thing to say. Yeah, well. Liar. That's a fact. How does he explain the flying saucers that have dropped solid matter? Will they poop? Yeah. Uh, how does he explain the objects referred to in this book that pass low enough to be heard? Not once, but on many occasions, the discs were described as making a noise like a huge organ, like a hive of bees, like a vacuum cleaner. Does ionized air make a humming noise? And Yuri Geller was the guy I was trying to think of the name. See? There you go. <laughs> yeah, he had, he, he had ESP, and I think, uh, you know, he was involved in, you know, those three-letter mm -hmm. agencies, uh, you know, with those uh, ultra, you know, uh -huh. things. Okay. And <laughs> you can tell it's a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yes, and if can. the ionized saucer can only occur at considerable altitudes, how then could it have, there's people screaming, it's that, whatever. Yeah. It could have caused the many saucers that have been observed at tree hop height. But let us be generous. Let us. Supposing, for a moment, that all the objects Mendel, Menzel discusses were due to some kind of natural phenomenon causing a temporary luminous object to come into being, how, in the name of Harvard sophomore physics, <laughs> sophomore physics, that's <laughs> snotty now, can he explain the dark black flying objects seen by his colleagues in astronomy since 1762, when on August 9th in that year, Professor de Rostin at Basel and Professor Krusty at Seoul independently observed an enormous dark spindle-shaped object slowly cross the sun's disk. How? How I tell you how? It must have been a very solid object to have made a silhouette against the sun. I wonder if Dr. Menzel has read of Dr. Fritsch, Fritsch, Fritsch. a senior Magdeburg astronomer who, on 7 February 1802, saw a large disk cross the sun, or of the howling disk thing that flew over Palermo in 1817. Oh, God, he's going to go on this list again. Or there is the, an, that's, yeah, the list is coming, and bear, just bear with me. It's important for people to know that these things have been reported since the beginning of the time. beginning of time, beginning of, you know, any kind of history. So we're going to run, there's going to be a laundry list of them. So 
Here we go. Can we already do this? Or the two dark bodies that crossed the sun in a pair in spring of 1819 is reported by astronomer Ruthison. Or of the gray torpedo that switched to Earth from the skies of Saarbrücken on 1 April 1826. What about the great black flying thing seen by the naked eyes of astronomers Ritter and Schmidt on 11 June 1855? Not to mention the black sky torpedo <laughs> pointed at one end, rounded at the other, which surprised Professor Dusort as it flew over Colmar with a low whistling sound on 6 April 1856. Then we have the 143, not... Whoa, who's counting these Not things? 142, one, one, two, three. three dark <laughs> circular objects. One of them which was photographed. Bonilla saw through the telescope of the Zacatecas Observatory in Mexico on August 12th of 1883. Yeah, well done on that pronunciation, by the way. Oh, yeah, I was working on it. That's tough. What about the slow gliding black disc seen by a Dutch astronomer named Muller on 4 April 1892? I wonder, does Dr. Menzel know about the Smith Observatory reported that a dark circular object traversed the moon's disc in four seconds on July 1st, 1896? Holy crap. Yeah. Or that on September 2nd, 1905, an intensely dark object flew over Wales at an estimated height of 10,000 feet, or of the great black torpedo that hovered over Burlington, Vermont on 14 March 1907, with jets of orange flame Damn. issuing from holes down its side, to mention but a few. And if so, how can you explain them? I wonder how we can explain all these saucers that have howled, hummed, buzzed, sounded like a great organ, like a beehive, like a vacuum, you know, they were like a vacuum cleaner before vacuum cleaners were even invented. That's right. To quote from the witnessed reports, for I know of no natural phenomenon that produced those sounds or anything like them. Menzel suggests that with the aid of a photograph that these dark cigars are mirages. He shows a photograph in which the tops of distant mountains appear to be detached and take the form of irregular cigar-shaped objects that look extremely like the tops of mountains detached by a mirage. How could one of these appear as a solid torpedo-shaped construction silhouetted against the sun? He does not explain. Even were the distorted mirage solid enough to appear black against the sun, would not the sun be distorted too, wouldn't it? Hmm? He's a Neil deGrasse Tyson yeah. of the 1800s. Nor does he give any convincing arguments against those experienced airline pilots who have seen saucers with glowing jets and portholes flying alongside their planes. That's weird. That seems jets, like... I mean, air breathing. I don't... Yeah, this seems to be. Yeah, that's, that, those are like, do we have, yeah. Nor can he make us believe that lenticular clouds and the rest can satisfy those pilots and crews who have looked down upon formation of luminous flying saucers, which, as soon as they rose above the pilot's horizon, took on the appearances of solid, dark, solid bodies silhouetted against the sky. Nothing like a dark, solid body silhouetted against the sky. That's huh? a beautiful thing. <laughs> no, it is all too easy to trot out a few facts wrapped up in a bit of highly scientific-sounding mumbo-jumbo to convince a great many simple, unquestioning souls to whom the very word scientific is sufficient label to raise the whole matter to the realms of hallowed dogma 
where further dispute is out of the question. Well, it's just like today. That's deep. <laughs> Neither Menzel nor the balloons, the illusions, the cobwebs, the locusts, the ionized air, the spots before the eyes. Oh, I have those in the side. Okay. The flocks of high-flying cobwebs, high-flying geese, high-flying haystacks, practical jokers, <laughs> secret weapons, refractions of the atmosphere, reflected light, cold air, and warm air. Whew. And to just plain simple hot air. <laughs> Account with any degree of satisfaction for more than a fraction of the 3,000 Odd saucers seen since 1947, and we're going to be reading. Oh no! Not all of those. Thank you. <laughs> but there's a, there's a couple pages of them because oh, they're interesting. Nor for the countless myriad seen and barely recorded from the time man first began to notice things, and remember to the present day. But whether one agrees with or dissents from Dr. Menzel. His book has achieved a good purpose. I'm glad we give him some kudos there. Yeah, well. He has thoroughly explored the question of saucers caused by natural phenomenon and has added something to our knowledge of the blind alleys in which genuine flying saucers may not be found. He has proved that some of the sightings could have resulted from the causes he elaborates and that these causes should always be taken into account when evaluating each new report. Remember that, Mr. Investigator? Yes, all right, let me move on, Investigator. He has also proved, wittingly or unwittingly, that a great many flying saucers have been sighted that do not fit into any of these categories and whose origin must be sought elsewhere. It is with these that we shall now concern ourselves, for the answer to the flying saucers is not one, but many. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Are you a believer now? <laughs> keep, keep working on that. And the best that each new book on the subject can hope for is to present new probabilities and proofs where possible to the eye of discerning enthusiast. Into chapter four, the Flying Saucer Review. I said earlier that never a day goes by without a saucer or several saucers being seen and reported. Yeah, MUFON's got every month they come out with their list, and there's hundreds of sites. Wow. And it's, you know, they got pictures, and I mean, as good as they are. It's not like a perfect picture, like the thing landed in the street out here, and you just go, yeah, get your phone out. And it's always so blurry and, you know, whatever. So, I don't know. It's uh, a president's final testimony, <laughs> a, um, a typical month, in this case, April 1952, and some of the flying saucers that brought interest to its 30 days. Okay. So we're going to have a, we're going to be reading some list here. For the compiling of this report, the credit goes entirely to Mr. Elliot Rockmore of New York, who edits the Flying Saucer Review. Instead of paying for copies, readers may contribute to the saucer cuttings and information of which it is composed, thereby building up an invaluable library of reference for present and future research workers. Mr. Rock, and when, I'm, again, I'm going to say we're not going to read every single one. I mean, you know, because it's just, you, they just start, it's just, you know what yes, I mean? We, we, went we know in, there's a ton of them. We Let's went in the see. 1700s, we had a lot. Yeah, Mr. Rockmore uses the address POB1, in case anybody wants to. This address is no more, so we're just not going to be... 
or their address is probably there. But what? Oh, please don't send mail. Hey, to don't this send me. Don't send clippings <laughs> and things there because I don't. I'm pretty sure that uh, you know. Well, yeah. Not that isn't there right now. So April first, three p.m. Greenfield, Massachusetts. You don't need to read the longitudinal those. Any location right there. A noise <laughs> like a wind was overheard. Again, if anybody wants to get the details of this, it's Flying Saucers Have Landed by uh, George Adamski and uh, Desmond Leslie. But get your much, copy now. It's much better when we read it to you. Yeah. Then a bright silvery object, apparent size smaller than the moon, descended at great speed and stopped in the air at an approximate altitude of 1,500 feet. It appeared to be a large rotating ring, apparent diameter 30 feet with the sky visible through the center. So donut. After several seconds, it turned on edge and appeared to be composed of two separate four-foot-wide rings, five feet apart. It's two donuts. It then raced on edge across the sky to the southwest, turned over into a flat position, moved toward a nearby mountain while following the Earth's contours. On arrival at the mountain, it banked, hovered for a second, then rose at tremendous speed skyward and disappeared. I'm hoping you see that one day, Deb. And so you can finally say, this it's shit real. is real. <laughs> I'm going to MUFON immediately. On May 8th, an identical object or another flying donut hovered over Cherbourg, France on 12th. Oh, this so it was reported on May. Yeah, also. But it occurred on January 12th. So then, yeah, and then we're back to the, what is it, 1950, whatever. Yeah. On April 1, Gulf of Mexico, two miles south of Lake Charles City, Louisiana, an object resembling an airplane fell into the sea. Observed by ship's lookout on the SS SO Bermuda, he searched by two Coast Guard cutters and a PBY plane for several hours, found no wreckage anywhere. And a check of all military and civilian airports showed that no aircraft were missing. Wow. And what it's doing is it's telling you the source. Okay. The source is for the prior report, by the way, when you okay. say source. It's okay. not for the one you are reading. A very bright metallic globe or disc at a very great height, which either hovered stationary or moved very slowly in the southwest sky as clouds occasionally obscured it. Observed by a group of persons described as fairly reputable by the local newspaper. Fairly reputable. Fairly, Not yeah, entirely reputable. Who believed it was not being played in April Fool's Was it an April Fool's Yeah, this a lot happened on April 1st. Again in April in Austin, Texas, one reddish luminous spherical, reddish luminous spherical object at a great height crossed the sky from south to north with a speed greater than a jet plane. Damn. In Houston, Texas, a fiery spherical object with a long trail noisily crossed the sky in a horizontal path from south to north within 15 seconds. Fort Worth, Texas, a fiery spherical object crossed the sky in a flat path within 15 seconds. Observed by an amateur, amateur, amateur astronomer who said it was not a meteor. And by two Convair aviation engineers who said that it could not have been an airplane because of the silence. And also in Wichita Falls, 
A fiery object trailed by a bluish light noiselessly across the sky. That's freaky. In Dallas, Texas, one fiery yellowish-orange spherical object crossed the sky from southwest to directly overhead to northeast. Longview, Texas. La Texas. Yeah. The same thing was observed. In Durant, Oklahoma, a fiery red spherical object trailing sparks crossed the sky. Why are they sparking? Just, why is it sparking? That's interesting. That always makes me curious. Because there's fire or sparks or whatever. Okay, there you go. One bright scarlet object that appeared to be two separate pieces or spheres close together crossed the sky at a speed slightly faster than a kite. Well, that's not very fast. That was from the. Uh, I just, I'm just um, that was from the Macalester <laughs> News Capital. Weird. Interesting. And. Um, and various other papers, Houston Post, Fort Worth, Ten oh. Star Telegram, so and Wichita went, Falls News. Went over some people. Yeah. April 3rd in Benson, Arizona in the morning. Get that on. There's probably a lot of lights there and it makes a lot of noise. In Benson. <laughs> in Benson. <laughs> Inside joke. Very clear, cloudless blue sky. A very bright, silverly, silvery it's wingless. It's bright. It's a Benson. Overall, <laughs> wingless oval or egg-shaped object, apparent size five times greater than a B-29 bomber. Now, yeah. Wow. Okay. Hovered motionless for an hour. That's so like, big. Okay, well, I know a B-29. There's a um, there's a website. It's um, things people will, Americans will use to measure rather than the metric system. It's yeah. like anytime somebody says, well, it was, you know, like five yeah. Be you know, because we'll use anything but the metric system to, to measure things with. Because <laughs> we don't even understand the metric We have system. no clue. I failed that in school. Yeah, I know. Did you have to do it in high school? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had it in high school, too. Because we I were did supposed not to be switching over. Yeah, I remember. We, it didn't take. Yeah, unless, I don't know whose bright idea that was. Unless you're buying soda, then it's in liters. <laughs> it's the only thing that comes in liters, is soda. Upon examination from an open cockpit of an airplane at 14,000 feet, it appeared to be 40,000 feet higher, so, so like 54,000 feet, <laughs> and did not resemble a balloon nor any aerial object in the pilot's 25 years aviation experience. Oh, wow. Observed by a Marana Air Base owner, one cadet, one flight instructor, and two civilian flight commanders, three of whom were veterans of several years of overseas flying in World War II. Damn. April 4th, near Hammond, British Columbia, Clear sky, excellent visibility, a shimmering green light resembling an airplane light appeared in the southern sky and noiselessly headed northwards towards the observer. Oh, it's coming at you. When nearly overhead, its tail appeared to be sparkling. No, it slowly turned amber. It slowly turned, oh, it slowly turned amber in color and went overhead, its tail appeared to be sparkling. It then turned sharply west stopped short suddenly and went directly back along the same path and became reddish and oval and shape would change shape that's yeah. another thing that's becoming you know of interest these mm -hmm. days about these things when it reached the original area of first observation in the southern sky it headed for the horizon turning first amber then green and finally a silver white wow it's very colorful that was the vancouver uh newspaper is reported by that uh april 5th around noon right at lunchtime 
A fluttering object at high altitude crossed part of the sky with great speed in less than six seconds. It was observed by a Navy lieutenant commander. Yeah, that source was the Dallas Morning News. That's still around, I think. Um, 7 April, Racine, Wisconsin. Uh, one fiery, spherical, phosphorescent green object. Boy, these things oh. are crazy colorful. Yeah. Trailed by a short stream of red and yellow flames. <laughs> crossed the sky with great speed and disappeared over the southwest horizon. That was from the Racine Journal Times. April 7th, in the evening, an unknown object appeared to rise into the sky. It did not resemble any type of aircraft. And then a bright green meteor-like object crossed the sky and apparently exploded into white sparks in southwestern sky. Then, three bright lights in formation each much brighter than a star, each carrying a green light at approximate altitude of 10,000 feet, slowly crossed the sky, traveling southwest. That was from the Oregonian. April 9th at 2.35 p.m. Well, these are in the middle of the day. It's yeah. pretty cool. Pensacola, Florida. The, uh, an object resembling an airplane trailed by smoke crossed the sky. Then another object appeared falling from the sky. A short time later, a heavy explosion was heard. I think an airplane crash. Probably. It sounds like it. A tremendous explosion in the sky shook the entire city, breaking several windows, ceiling plaster in some houses, shook store goods off the shelves, and nearly knocked down some workers on on the city piers. That's kind of sounding like it's an airplane. Well, wait, we're still going, though. A hot seven-inch cone-shaped piece of metal was oh, found yeah. near an oak tree hot. by three children ten minutes afterwards. They thought it might have fallen from the sky. However, examination of the tree and nearby area found no scorched or damaged wood or other fragments. An examination by the Navy laboratories found it was a sulfur compound to seal joints. It was theorized that it might have fallen from a truck carrying it on a nearby street. Oh, what the? Yeah, it just fell just off. Just flew off the it's truck. Just, it's probably off of a truck. And broke some windows. They didn't find the truck or anything. The Navy stated that no jet planes were in flight. At the time, as opposed to those earlier one where the jet plane exploded. Yeah. And no aircraft were known to be in danger or missing. And that the Elgin Air Force Base, Air Force Proving Grounds, 40 miles away, were not testing explosives at the time. Wasn't us, dog. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, of course it wasn't you. <coughs> that was the uh, Pensacola News. On April 9th, Pintado, New Mexico, an aluminum-colored object resembling a bow tie... Approximate altitude <laughs> yeah. 5,000 feet. Now we're getting fancy. Appeared to somersault as it crossed the sky at a speed greater than a jet plane traveling west. Must have been that's, graduation. That's from the Albuquerque <laughs> Journal. New Mexico. No, oh, that was New Mexico yeah. too. Okay. In uh, 11 April in the afternoon sometime at Timmis Gaming, Ontario. It's supposed to be Canada. Huh? Uh -huh. That's a definitely a Canadian name. Um, six disc-like objects followed by vapor trails noiselessly drove up and down in the sky. They did not resemble conventional airplanes, right, because they were secret. You know, if it's got vapor trails, it's probably not a UFO. I'm just saying. On April 11th in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, a saucer-like object was seen in the sky. Yeah, so I just um, I saw That was from the Richmond News Leader. The Leader in News. The Leader. Richmond. Yeah. Near Hammond, British Columbia, a bright light similar to those seen previously in this area was observed again. The more lights. That was the uh, Vancouver sun on 1 May. All right. 
Now we're on chapter five. Many additional reports oh. were also listed, like we okay, discussed. I plugged that in because there was a, a lot of them. Okay. Yeah, we don't. And um, I think everybody kind of gets the idea. I think of, so. Uh, there was yes. a hell of a lot of sightings yes. in the 50s. And I, we were doing a lot of jet, I hate to say this because I'm a UFO guy, but there's a lot of jet fighter trading, yeah. um, jet fighter um, testing. Testing, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, I'll make it, I'll make you'll, it, I'll you'll, power through this. You're going to get a word there. <laughs> I know, so it's not, it's not nine o'clock in the morning, so you don't know how to do I this. I know. I fed um, you. So, uh, rolling into chapter five, Deb. Flying saucers and politics. I would have dispensed with the, with the statistic, I hate that word, almost entirely, had not the Pentagonist shown how, by taking a handful of facts and figures, and by distorting them ad lib, you may make them prove spots, balloons, meteors, cobwebs, hallucinations, or anything you like. That is my only excuse and my only reason for loading part one with so many sightings. That's George talking. Um, and yet it was a lot. <laughs> Again, we, wrote, we read probably half of them. For in order to spell the official smokescreen so easily produced with the aid of a swollen bureaucracy. This is so familiar. This, this is so much to add to. There was no course open to me other than to marshal as many of the facts as possible. Tabulate them. Put them in some kind of chronological order and present them for a discerning and open-minded public to judge for themselves. That's what we have to do. I hope by now that it will no longer be no longer necessary to drag out further long list of sightings. No, it won't. Both ancient and modern, for it must surely be obvious to anyone except to the Harvard Observatory. <laughs> he hates those people. That flying saucers are real and that not very many of them can be explained away by that useful little phrase. Natural, natural phenomena. phenomena. <laughs> we like that phrase. It's Venus. But again, a certain doubt lingers in the mind. Does it? A little bit. Suppose for a moment that you were elected head of a Western state, holding office by a not too large majority, Deb. Just hanging remember. on by a thread. You would think twice before making a proclamation of such startling, a startling nature. You probably would. You might have been present when a spaceship landed, conversed and consulted with men from other worlds. But you would hold your peace. You wouldn't say anything to the public? You Do I ever keep anything quiet? <laughs> Deb, Deb's going to talk. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I, but see, I'm not that person. I'm not that person who needs the world to think a certain way of me. They already think a certain way of me. I'm good with it. Imagine if the English Prime Minister or the American President were to tell us his government's encounter with spacemen. Oh, you'd be so excited. Of his government's. I you'd would, vote for he, them in a second. I would, if, if somebody would finally say it. <laughs> Even if it were true and supported by many witnesses, his party would not remain in office a week. <laughs> That's probably true, you know. Yeah. That's why nobody's, not, nobody's, nobody's talking about it as part of the open discussion. No. You know what I mean? The voters would be thrilled, fascinated. Some might even be delighted, but they would be shocked. They want to be governed by trustworthy, unsensational rulers. I like. Oh, no, I can't they expect <laughs> their governments to be fundamentally respectable, like a bank. 
Yeah, bankers. Yeah, they were fundamentally respectable back in the 50s. So yeah, so this much. is a whole different world. <laughs> so if you were head of the state and you knew all about flying saucers, why should you risk your seat to make such a statement until you were absolutely forced to do so, Deb? Till the little green men told on us. Yeah, well, they don't want us to talk about it either. There is plenty that government does not tell the people. Sometimes they tell le less than is strictly ethical. That, and this is, you know, from the 50s, how, how is... times have changed. <laughs> oh, do they? Are they, have they changed? Oh, well, I mean, just how much worse it's gotten, than, yeah. you know. Yeah, they don't want to tell you anything. In fact, they're lying. Yeah, that's... And it's confusion, and I mean, we can go on and It's on funny that he's going. saying exactly what's said now in the 50s. I can yeah. see him, you know, if he knew the term fake news, he would have used it all over the place. Yeah. It is amazing that it's exactly the same as... And that's one of the reasons I'm bringing this forth, is it's exactly the same thing that's going on today. Yep. That we have to do something to make this change. I don't know if we can do it or if it's going to be Congress. Or the green saying, guy behind we can take care of it. No, that's right. He'll handle it. <laughs> they just need to come out and get on News Nation or whatever, because ABC's not going to touch it. And if you were head of a slave, I don't know what they mean by a slave state. You better give me a, I don't know what they mean by that. I think that would be like a, um, if you were a dictator. Oh, okay. And you learned, it does, not in that literal term, because I'm like, they didn't have any, it's the 50s. And you learned one terrible day that there were greater gods in heaven than the ugly faces on your party posters. Oh, Jesus. You would do anything to prevent the people finding out would you for a big fish in a little pond can remain a big fish only as long as the little fishes know nothing of giant porpoise and the ocean whale the inopportune arrival of a mighty fish from the great waters beyond would reduce you to your proper size no longer frightened by your correct proportions the slaves would laugh ha ha at first that's slaves laughing is that the slaves laughing? Ha, ha. later <laughs> They might do something rather more unpleasant. <laughs> so by all means, stick to the story that saucers are a product of Western war psychosis. Wow. And what is on fire? And what of the scientists? George is on fire. There are many, and I have spoken to some of them who believe we have slender grounds for supposing that human life on the little planet called Earth is the highest form of life in the universe. He's going off. <laughs> A true scientist is also a philosopher, and a philosopher believes that life is no unique and isolated freak, freak. but that it pervades the entire cosmos. Well, I'm liking it. I'm liking, I'm liking what he has to say here. It is not the philosopher scientist, but the technician scientist, the little man who cannot believe in God because he cannot take his temperature nor peruse his spectroscope. <laughs> spectroscopic analysis as to whom the idea of any being greater than himself is repugnant. For if a man from another world knows enough to be able to travel through space, then he must know more science than us, right? I would assume so. He might even know a different type of science. He might even disprove our accepted theories, overturn our pet conceptions, dethrone our personal idols. Oh, that's just... See, this is the problem. Frightening. He would be as welcome to the little technician scientists as Einstein would have been to the pre-Copernicans <laughs> in the Middle Ages. Therefore, he must not exist. 
It would be insufferable if a spaceman kindly pointed out to the students of astrophysics that they'd got their light years all wrong, their measurements confused, and that the conditions on other planets were quite different from what they had so proudly proclaimed owing to the fallibility and inaccuracy of their instruments. So, for heaven's sakes, there must be, well, you keep moving my words, there must be no spacemen Focus. except in comic strips, and flying saucers must be brushed off as any old thing you choose. Okay, you want me to take the mouse while you No, wait? you're not allowed to touch the mouse. <laughs> in closing, politicians have a valid excuse. It is their duty as guardians of the people to make no disturbing statements until forced to do so. But the little technician scientist, half-educated in a smattering of chemistry and physics, so has no such excuses to redeem him. He should drop all pretensions to the little of scientist, which implies... Title. To the title of scientist, which implies one who knows and one who thinks, for he does neither. Oh, tell him, condescending, man, this man Well, is... you know, he's, you know, this is today. Yeah. You know, it's the same things going on today. Things have to, you know, let's, the more they change, the more things stay the same. That's what they say. You know, so it's like, um, we're going to conclude this a little short episode here. Debbie's got to cook for the family. Yeah, I've got things to do. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Alien Pro Podcast. We welcome comments, questions, or requests to alienprobepodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook. Check out our website, alienprobe.net, Twitter and Instagram at alienprobepod, YouTube, and now Rumble. Rumble is where you want to go to see us. <laughs> where are we going to see us, Deb? Rumble. Okay. YouTube and Rumble. Okay, you said it four times. Thank now. you, Deb. Thank you, uh, Georgia Damsky. Um, this is our fourth installment, and um, we will keep it rolling and watch the skies. <laughs>